Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used many different names to denote his azmat or to denote his majesty. One such name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is simply his khaliq. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone in the absolute senses our creator, every single thing, every other single thing in the universe is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. So this difference between the creator and his creation is part of the azmat or the majesty or the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like that, his other name Malik also signals his azmat because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only being that has dominion or possession over everything and is the only being over whom no entity has any dominion or possession. In other words, in the absolute sense, <coughs> only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Malik, everything else in the world is his mamluk. And there is no being in the world who can consider itself Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Malik. So when we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the absolute khaliq, He's the absolute creator. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the absolute malik, He's the absolute master and owner of this universe. So that means that we realize the azmat or the greatness or the exalted nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rank. In fact, the reality is, is that no matter how much we think of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as azim or as akbar or as majestic or as great, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is even greater than our imagination can ever reach. Therefore, all of our ibadat, our worship, our hamd, our praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our tasbih, our glorification of Him, or our dhikr, our remembrance and recollection of Him, all fall short of His majesty and His greatness. And one of the problems that we have today is that in our hearts we don't have the azmat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our heart. We don't feel in our heart that we actually believe in a being that is majestic, that is great, that is awesome. Part of that is due to our disobedience. That when you disobey someone, what happens is, is that even if intellectually you felt that, okay, Allah subhanahu wa is azim, but when we disobey Allah subhanahu wa what happens to us subconsciously is that we lose that azmat. Just like if you see a, a student who disobeys his teacher, if he disobeys his teacher once, if he disobeys his teacher twice, what that means in essence is, is that his teacher didn't have that maqam, that teacher didn't have that status or that rank in front of them, and that's what enabled that student to disobey them. So what happens is that whenever we disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in anything, gradually from our heart, the inherent, the fitra, our inherent human nature has internally programmed the azmat or the majesty of Allah, but every time we disobey Allah, we begin to lose that concept of His majesty and His greatness. And the second way we lose that, so the first way is through sins, and the, or disobedience, and the second way is through ghafla, or through heedlessness, or being unaware of Allah. 
Because if you think about it, if Allah SWT is Al-Azim as He truly is, then part of His majesty demands that we never ever forget Him. Just like we will never forget an immense exam that is about to overtake us. A person will never be able to forget or get out of his mind an immense court case that is upcoming. Or if a person loves someone or has some type of breakup or has some immense or intense emotional experience, that emotional experience is so adheem, so great or immense in that person's heart or mind that they're unable to forget it. So what that means is that if we really had the azmat or the majesty of Allah SWT in our heart, we wouldn't be able to be in a state of ghafla, we wouldn't be able to enter a state of heedlessness or we're unaware from Him. And conversely or simultaneously, that means that whenever we are unaware of Him, whenever we fail to remember Him, what happens then is that the azmat of Allah SWT goes down in our heart. In fact, right, if you think about it, if we really had this sha'an or the majesty of Allah SWT in our minds, or we had His azmat, His majesty in our hearts, then forget being able to commit an act of disobedience, we wouldn't even be able to conceive or imagine disobeying Allah SWT in any way. So this ayah that Allah SWT mentioned in the Qur'an, Ya Ayyuhannas, this is addressed to all of humanity. Allah SWT is trying to humble humanity and remind them of His Majesty, of His Azmat, Antumul Fuqara'u illallah. That all of you are fuqara, all of you are faqirs, all of you are needy, all of you are muhtaj. Every human being should view themselves as muhtaj illallah, as needy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, that's another aspect of His Majesty, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not majestic or adheem in isolation, but part of His Majesty lies in the fact that every single piece of creation is dependent upon him, needs him, is muhtaj, is faqir. And then about himself, Allah SWT said, then continuing the ayah, Ya ayyuhal nasu antumul fuqara'u illallah, wallahu huwal ghaniyul hamid. That know that Allah SWT is ghani, he is hamid. Allah SWT is, uh, Allah SWT is self-sufficient. He is beyond need, he is beyond want. He is above, He is transcendent, He is beyond our worship. In That if Allah SWT wanted to, He could take you away. He could erase humanity. And He could create an entire new creation. In other words, what Allah SWT is trying to say in this verse is that if human beings as a collective decide to reject Him, to disbelieve in Him, not to view themselves as fuqara, not to acknowledge or to admit their immense need for Him, not to admit their immense need for the Divine, then Allah is saying, I can bring another creation. I could create something else. وَمَا ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ بِعَزِيزِ And this would not be difficult in any way for Allah SWT to do. So it means that part of Allah SWT's azmat is also conditioned by His rahmah, by His mercy. Because certainly His Majesty should have required that He do precisely this. Whether at a collective level or at an individual level. If there's any individual human being or humanity as a race begins to view themselves as ghani, begins to view themselves as mustaghni, begins to view themselves as beyond needing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they're beyond Him, that we don't need Allah in our life, we don't need to hear about Allah. Or in, the, in modern uh, the terminology of social sciences, God is dead, metaphysics is dead, right? 
if human beings felt that way, then it would have been the azmat, it would have been part of the majesty or greatness of Allah to finish off such an individual human being or to wipe away such a race and bring another uh, type of creation into existence that would be truthful, would be more true, would accept their reality, would submit to the divine, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't do that. That's part of His rahmah, that's part of His mercy upon us. What does it mean to view Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as majestic? What it means primarily, right, is to view His hukum, to view His commandments as azim, to view His Qur'an, to view His kalam, to view His speech as azim, to view the example of His beloved Messenger sallallahu as azim, to view his, the way He has ordained for us to worship Him, ibadat, as azim, to view the different ways of remembering and rec- recollecting Him, to view dhikr as azim, right? And this is what the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in had. They viewed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as majestic. And that's why, for example, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu used to say that, Oh Allah, it is sufficient izzat for me, it is sufficient honor for me that you are my Lord, and it is sufficient fakhr, it is sufficient pride for me that I am your servant. In other words, if you really understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is azim or He is majestic, and then you reflect that Allah has blessed us to become His servants. So that means, right, once you become an Abdullah, you become, you're becoming Abdul Azim, you become a servant and a lover of the most majestic being. And that itself gives you a taste of majesty. That itself gives you izzah. That itself gives you honor. That itself gives you fakhr. That itself gives you pride. In other words, that's our izzah in this world. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us to become fuqara. That is our izzat. Our izzat lies in our acknowledging and accepting our fakirness, our muhtajness, our need and our dependency upon the divine, upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, that's why the maqam or the level of being an abd is, you know, one of the greatest gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given. And it's through that ubudiyah or through that abdiyat or through that servanthood that a person is able to recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because ibadah is the maqsus haq, it's the sole right of Allah, it's His sole domain, it's His sole dominion. That nothing else in the world can be worshipped, la ilaha illallah. That you can never worship Allah, you can never worship anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's through this type of, it's through worship, it's through testifying to, it's through ibadah, it's through testifying to the azmat of Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws a person close to them. In other words, if a person wants to have the qurb, or a person wants to be near, or intimately close with Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, another place in the Qur'an al-Kareem said, وَسْجُدْ And you should make sajda, وَقْتَرِبْ And you will be drawn close. In other words, by doing sajda, by doing ibadah, and specifically, why didn't Allah take sajda as the example? Because sajda is that form of ibadah, prostration, is that form of worship in which a person testifies even physically to the azmat, to the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we do that, when we acknowledge His majesty, waqtarib, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings us closer to Him. We're able to do husul qurb, we're able to attain this level of nearness and intimacy by submitting to the majesty of Allah. And that's the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu that that person who humbles themselves to Allah, rafa'ahullah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises them and exalts them in rank. In fact, even if you look at fiqh, 
there's a principle of Islamic law that if a person is praying Salah and a person is praying uh, his daily prayer and she has to make sajda and if she decides to pray on the grass well it's required of her that she can't just do sajda she can't let her head just touch the surface of the grass she has to press her head down so much until she feels the soil underneath the grass until she feels the hardness of the earth on her forehead in other words the wisdom in this the hikmah is this is that you should lower yourself as much as you can as much as you can that's the hikmah of sajda why? man that when you lower yourself when you humble yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise you and that's why the Prophet said in a different hadith As-salatu miraj al-mu'min That salah is the mi'raj It's the ascension of a believer By praying, by falling into sajda We lower ourselves, we testify to Allah's majesty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises our darajat He raises our levels Based on how much we submit to Him so basically then the lesson is that we have to learn to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to create some concept, some understanding of His azmat, of His majesty in our heart and to do that by way of ibadah. Now if you look at our kalima, if you look at our profession of faith, we say la ilaha illallah, that we testify, ashadu an la ilaha illallah, that we bear witness with our tongues and we promise to be true to that in our heart that there is no being worthy of worship other than Allah and that itself is a big statement right and as we've mentioned sometimes to some of you before that that look relationship having a relationship with someone has four levels the first level is what we call ragba ragba means to be inclined towards something to have a desire to for something then the second thing, when this ragbat increases, the more and more you increase in your ragbat, the more and more you incline towards something, the more and more you desire something, then eventually you reach a second stage which is called talab. Talab means that you're actively now seeking out the object of your desire. You're going to go on a journey. You're going to become a seeker. You're going to embark on a quest to seek out the object of your desire. Then when your talab increases, your talab increases, then the third thing that happens is that you enter a state of mahabba, that you enter a state of love. And you begin to love that being that you initially were inclined towards, that you initially desired. And then secondarily, that you sought out, you practically went out and sought out that being. Then what happens is you eventually fall in love. And the highest level of mahabba, which is the fourth and final stage, the absolute level of mahabbat is ita'at, or is obedience, or is ibadat, is worship. Right? To worship your beloved. That is the highest type of love. To obey your beloved and to worship your beloved. But interestingly, right, not only did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that we have to believe in la ilaha illallah. In other words, not only is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that we have to reserve the last ultimate stage of this ta'luk of relationship, which is the ultimate level of muhabbat, which is worship, that we have to save that for him. In the Quran, in different verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that everything, everything belongs to me. For example, the first stage was ragbat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran al-Kareem, describing the believers, inna illallahi ragibun, that verily it is towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they are ragibun, that they have ragbat. They are people whose inclinations, their ragbat is also towards Allah. And then another hadith, uh, another ayah of the Qur'an, 
Allah subhanahu wa mentioned that talab is only for him and the way he did this is that he falsified the talab that idol worshippers had for their idols the verse says ضَعِفَ الطَّالِبُ وَالْمَطْلُوبُ the ضَعُفَ is weak is the talib is the seeker of a false god وَالْمَطْلُوبُ as well as that false idol in other words that means that Allah is saying that that person who is a talib of a false deity that person has become weak and rather that person should become a talib of Allah. He should become a seeker of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the third level, after ragbat, after talib was mahabba. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حَبًّا لِلَّهِ That those who believe are extreme, are shadeed, are ashad, are extremely intense in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the result then of that extreme intensity is ibadah that we believe in la ilaha illallah. So what that means is that Allah SWT doesn't accept that we even have a basic level of ta'luk, a bare relationship, even a raghbat, even an inclination for someone who is ghairullah. That means, right, that we don't have an inclination or desire for somebody who is other than Allah except, right, except those loves or those desires or those inclinations that Allah SWT has told us to do or that we're able to do for His sake. Always remember that Muhammadullahi, love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means number one, primarily love for Allah Himself. Number two, it means love for His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Number three, it means any person we love in this world for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake are in His name. That can include parents, that can include spouse, that can include family, children, it can include friends, teachers, students. Any love that we can say that yes Allah, we love this person purely for your sake. Sure, we might love them because they're our father as well. We might love them because they're our sister as well. But we're able to spin this love. There's enough purity in this mahabba. And there's an absence of impurity in this love that we can say that we can also, in addition to loving this person for natural reasons, we can also love this person for you. That's what Allah is saying is, other than those things, Allah, not only does Allah not want us to worship someone other, other than Him, or not only does He not want us to have mahabbat for anyone other than Him or any one of the loves that are for His sake, Allah doesn't even want us to have talab, to have a desire to seek out, to be a seeker for anything that is other than being, other than being sought out for His sake. Nor does Allah SWT want us to have ragbat, to even incline or desire for something other than our inclination can be done for His sake or in His name. That is His azmat, right? That's His majesty. His Majesty demands that, not, that we don't do any of these things. We don't establish even the bare minimum of a relationship with anyone unless we can do it for His sake or in His name. And if you think about how humble, how much humility Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants, well the greatest examples you actually find are, are in the Anbiya themselves. In other words, the Anbiya, the Nabiyeen, the Prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So if you begin with Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, right? Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam wants, it was his desire to stay in Jannah, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed for him that he will be descended to earth. However, he never, gave, he humbled himself before Allah. Imagine that, that's an incredible test, right? Me and you, we think we're tested in different ways. Imagine having this test that you actually live in Jannah. You're actually living in an abode of bliss, of happiness. And you're removed from that. And you're a prophet. And you're the first human being. 
And Allah SWT commanded all the angels to make sajda to you. That was the level you had. And all of a sudden you're dropped down to this mundane worldly life. You've got to eat, you've got to relieve yourself, you're doing all types of mundane worldly things. What an incredible test that was. But look at Sayyidina Adam humility. Look at his ajizi that he accepted that happily. And he worshipped Allah SWT with as much passion, as much verve on this material earth and this dunya as he did in Jannah. Nuh salam is a prophet of Allah. Allah SWT sends his prophet as a warner to his people. Nuh does his job. There's a whole surah, surah Nuh about this in the Quran. He tries so many different ways. In the end Allah SWT decrees that a punishment should come over those members of his community who fail to respond to him. And then Nuh turns and he wants that his own son, his blood son be saved. Now imagine right, every parent wants their child to grow up in a state that that child becomes pleasing to Allah. Every ch- parent would want their child to be saved, to, er, to be able to receive the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if that's true for an average human being or for an average parent, imagine how true it must have been for a prophet of Allah, for Nuh alayhi Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to humble him and does not let his son accept iman. And his son has to be destroyed and drowned in front of his own eyes. But Nuh alayhi humility, look at this incredible test. That despite being a prophet, Ya Allah, you're not saving my son. But look at his humility, right? That he bows himself, he submits himself to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because these anbiya realize the azmat, the majesty of Allah. They realize that their, and if their own accomplishment would only lie in submitting to him humbly. Look at Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. He's the prophet of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him Khalilullah, that you are my intimate friend, you are my Khalil. He is commanded in a dream to ziba, to, to slaughter his son. He humbles himself before his Lord. He recognizes the azmat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his majesty. And he goes and he takes his son Ismail and he's willing to ziba him, he's willing to sacrifice, to slaughter him. With a knife, he's willing to take a knife to the neck of his own son. Look at that incredible level of humility, that incredible level of submission, that incredible level of worship. In fact, the Prophet Muhammad himself was an incredible example of this, of humility and of submission before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet had to make dawah, he had to be accosted, he continually, repeatedly tried to bring Abu, La- Abu Jahal, Abu Lahab, Abu Sufyan, other people to Islam. In the case of the first two, he was unable to succeed. Right? He was faced with lack of success, but he humbled himself. He didn't think that, Ya Allah, you've made me your last messenger. You sent me with your last book. This is your last religion. How can you not give me success? He humbly, and he kept turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, so much so, that once the Prophet wanted, uh, it's a very long story, but at one point the Prophet made this decision that he, wouldn't, he would stop using honey. He would stop using or consuming honey. Immediately Allah SWT revealed a verse that, Ya Yohan Nabiyu, that all oh my beloved Messenger Sallallahu lak. why is it that you're making haram, why are you prohibiting for yourself that which Allah SWT has made halal for you? Tabtaghi marzata azwajik. And you're doing this to seek the pleasure or you're doing this to please your wives. Wallahu ghafuru rahim. Verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is forgiving, is merciful. 
So basically what this means is that when we humble ourselves or when we look at the stories of the Anbiya, what we realize is that there's something that is reserved for Allah. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that is alone is that being whose wishes are always fulfilled. Even the Prophet's wishes weren't always fulfilled. Sayyidina Adam wished to stay in Jannah, not fulfilled. Sayyidina Nuh alayhi salam wished, right? Uh, that his son be saved, not fulfilled. The Prophet wished not to use honey, not fulfilled. So what the lesson that Allah is showing us through the example of his own beloved prophets is that, O oh, insan, O oh, humanity, you have to sacrifice your wishes to Allah Taala's wishes. This is what ibudiyah, this is what servanthood, this is what slavehood means. right? And that you should be pleased with Allah Taala in each and every condition. And you should think that no matter how much Allah is testing me, He is pleased with me. In other words, uh, uh, if we make our wishes according to Allah's wishes, our life will become very simple. But if we try to run the world or run our own little world or run our own little life according to our wishes, then our life will become extremely difficult. right? And that's why Allah taught us this lesson in the Kalima. Right? That you have to submit yourself completely to Allah subhanahu ta'ala's will. When you submit to Allah subhanahu ta'ala happily, and when you do so through ibadat and you do so through dhikr, when you submit to Allah subhanahu ta'ala happily and you do so through worshipping Him and you do so through remembering Him, Allah subhanahu ta'ala instantaneously rewards us by sending a sakina, a sukoon, a tranquility, a serenity upon our heart. A coolness, a, a happiness descends upon our heart. Right, because inside when our hearts are pleased with Allah, inside our, our hearts know that Allah is pleased with us. Having that knowledge that Allah is pleased with us soothes our heart. Right, gives us a comfort the like of which nothing else in the world can give us. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran al-Kareem, Allah bi dhikrillahi tatma'innul kulub, that know that only and only in the dhikr of Allah, only and only in the recollection and the remembrance and the internalization of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do the spiritual hearts find peace and tranquility and contentment. What that means is, uh, my teacher's teacher, Shaykh Ghulam Habib Rahimahullah used to say, that you should do so much ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you should submit yourself so much to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you should humble yourself so much to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that makhluk, that other people when they see you, they have thirst. When other people see you, they feel for you, they empathize with you. And then you should continue to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much, that even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala empathizes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has thirst for you in front of His creation, in front of His angels. That's how much we have to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why even the Prophet Muhammad made this dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he came back from Taif. He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahumma ilayka ashkul dhu'fa quwwati. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I present to you the weakness, the dhu'f, the weakness of my power. That I'm a weak person, I'm just, I'm a weak human being, I'm a prophet, you sent me to these people, I went to these people, they didn't accept the message. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I come back, I'm presenting to you my own weakness. My own weakness, right? Uh, and, 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 the limited, and the limited nature of my resources in, able to, in, 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 in being able to help people in this path. Ya Arhamar Rahimeen, however I turn to you, O Allah, the most merciful of the merciful beings. 
that you are my Rabb, that you are my Lord, that you are my sustainer, right? That you can remove this weakness. And then the Prophet said in this dua that, Ya Allah, if you are displeased with me, then there's nothing, uh, there's nothing more disturbing to me than that in the world. But Ya Allah, if you are pleased with me, the only thing I want in the entire universe is your pleasure, is your happiness, right? And this was the humility of the Prophet Muhammad After coming back from what you would say, apparently speaking, could be construed as a lack of success, right? An unsuccessful mission. But for the Prophet he knew he had that knowledge, he had that modifa, he had that intimate understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that success and failure isn't an external thing. Success and failure is, is going to be whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still pleased with me or not. If Allah is pleased with me, then I can deal with every worldly failure because I have this internal success. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased with me, then every worldly success in the world is not going to be enough to compensate this internal inner failure that I have to deal with in my heart. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes humility from His servants. And that is why I'd say the beginning of the Sawaf and the end of the Sawaf, the beginning of Islamic spirituality and the end of Islamic spirituality lie in this concept of humility, of being humble, of humbling ourselves before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This is why in fact the Prophet made a dua, Allahumma j'alni fi aini saghira, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make me saghir, make me small, make me diminish my worth in my own eyes, in my own view. Right? And this is really what the path of zikr is trying to teach us. That the more and more we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more and more we reflect on His azmat, on His majesty, the more and more we humble ourselves, lower our heads in front of His presence, the more, and these things feed off one another. You see, when, you, when, you, when in your heart you think, or you begin to feel, when we begin to feel that we have the azmat or the majesty of Allah in our heart, then what that leads to is that leads us to do more ibadat, more worship, more dhikr, more remembrance, right? more humbleness, more humility. And then in turn, the more worship that we do, the more dhikr that we do, the more humility that we do, that increases our azmat, that increases the majesty, how majestic, that increases the qadr, the value that we have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our hearts. Now every person is at a different stage in this cycle. And we keep moving around on the cycle. So for some people if they feel, if we feel that okay now I have this azmat for Allah in my heart, I have this muhabbat, this love for Allah in my heart, then we need to look at ourselves and see, are we giving life to that? Are we, testim- are we being true to that by worship and by remembrance? And if we're not, then that's what's lacking in us. What's lacking in us is acts of worship, is ibadah, is dhikr, is remembrance. Or secondly, if there's a person who says, no, I'm making dhikr, I'm, I'm trying to do worship, I'm trying to remember Allah, but I still don't feel anything, right? Or I'm still not able to change. Or I'm doing dhikr, but it's still not enabling me to leave the acts of disobedience or the acts of sin that I still commit. So we're going to say that, okay, what we have to do is you're, you're doing ibadat, you're doing dhikr, now what you have to do is reflect more and more on Allah Taala's azmat. You need to reflect on His majesty. You need to reflect on your nature as a humble. You need to reflect on that ayah Allah SWT says, Ya ayyuhal nas, antumul fuqara'u illallah. You need to reflect on that over and over. Keep thinking about that. Start viewing yourself as a fakir. Once you start doing that right, then your ibadat and your dhikr will bring life. They will show their fruits. May Allah SWT give all of us the ability to 
may he place his azmat, majesty, his majesty, his awe, his respect in our hearts. May we view him as majestic as he truly, as as truly majestic as he is. May we be humbled before him as truly we should be humbled. May we view ourselves as fukara. May we view ourselves as truly needy of him. Uh, when we view ourselves as needy of Him as we truly are, may Allah give us the ability to recognize our hakika, our reality, in the face of His immense majesty, of His immense magnanimity, and His immense beneficence, and in the face of His immense mercy. Wa akhiru da'wana. Anilhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.